0: Continuing through that, but as um, through a devotion this, this last week, I was um, thinking of uh, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And I uh, was reading through some of the prophecies and I came to Psalms 22. And so I think the next few weeks um, we're going to focus on this. Um, as the Lord sort of laid it on my heart. And uh, very interesting, the Psalms 22, 23, and 24 are what they call the Shepherd psalms. So this is the first one in there. And <coughs> excuse me. Today we're going to be talking about the prophecy of the cross. The first eight verses of Psalms 22. So I'd like to read that to you. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from my, word, and from my words, my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and, you and they were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord yet let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. And one of the things as we, as we study about prophecy is that this psalm was uh, written by David. It was written probably uh, over a thousand years before Jesus was born. And sometimes when we look at things, and there's a little bit of science in here today, that I'm going to focus on but when we look at these things I I think of prophecy and sometimes we use that word lightly we just think about oh yeah this was told this was going to come to pass and it came to pass I want you to think about if somebody said I want you to make a prediction about what's going to happen in the year 3022 and then to have that come to pass that is quite the amazing thing and it goes to show that all scripture is God breathed that God gave us all of his word that we might learn from it and so David wrote this now David might have been also going through some struggles in his life at this time but this is a direct prophecy again about the cross of Christ and so when we look at this in a Jewish hermeneutics or Jewish um, interpretation of scripture they would call this a remez an r-m-e-z and it's sort of a neat thing because the, the Jewish people thought that uh, a remez of, in this way, that it's a hidden message of a deeper meaning. So when you read something, there's, there's more to it than what just meets the eye. It's a treasure that is found below the surface or behind the words of something stated. And so when I was studying through that this last week, it just really um, intrigued me, especially verse 6 that we're going to get into. But the words that the Savior cries out at the cross, I mean, think of this, Matthew 27, and I think in the Gospel of John, We see where they gambled for his, if you were to read through all of Psalm 22, you see where he's talking about they're going to cast lots for my clothes. Um, He cries out from the cross, you know, Father, why have you forsaken me? All these things come to pass exactly the way that it was stated a thousand years earlier, well over a thousand years earlier. And so it shows us the accuracy of God's word, that things don't just happen by chance that it's not just by accident that these things may be fit, or we look at them backward and say, oh yeah, I can fit this in here. We see a direct um, prophecy, a direct words of what God has said. And it should really bolster in us the confidence in God's word, that you know, what he has said will happen, will happen. And so when we read through the scriptures, we know that God is true. <clears throat> and so in the first couple verses, we see the separation. So there's three points that we're going to talk about today, or three aspects of this pro, uh, of this prophecy. The first is the separation that we see. You know, Jesus, the Son, cries on the cross, and he says, "Father, why don't you hear me? Why, why?" And so when we look at the time frame, David might have been going through some things. You and I in our life sometimes go through things, and we can cry out to God, and we ask Him sometimes, "Why are these things happening?" Many times we think that God isn't listening. But the scriptures would show that God was. And even though Christ was crying out from the cross, Why have you forsaken me? He knew that the Father didn't leave him, but this was just the darkest moment in Christ's life. That he was at this one point of time without fellowship with the rest of the Godhead. God, the Father, the Holy Spirit could not look upon this sin. And so God had to turn his back for that moment. That's when Jesus cried out the very words that are in the beginning of Psalms 22. Why have you forsaken me? And so the first aspect we see is this uh, separation. And it was a separation because of our sin. It wasn't of anything that Jesus did. Again, the the lamb without spot or blemish became sin for us. And so because of that thing, the separation took place. Secondly, we see the alienation. So we see that men alienated him too. The next few verses as it goes through. Uh, He looked at the deliverance of his own people. As you read through this, he says, you know, you you delivered Israel. But we knew that at this point, deliverance in this life wasn't going to come for Jesus. He had to see it through to the death, even death on a cross. Now, we know the resurrection comes. He's going to be reunited, but we see the alienation. And so sometimes, again, when we're looking around the world, we see sometimes people that are, Uh, going through things, and and they seem to come out of it looking pretty good. And we wonder sometimes in our life why it doesn't happen to us. Well, Jesus, too, at that dark moment, it had to be just a, a whole new experience for him not to be in fellowship or in communion with the Father at that moment. And so he becomes our sacrifice. He becomes our scapegoat. So we hear that word sometimes, the scapegoat. That means that the innocent one pays the price or takes the blame for the guilty, right? So sometimes people will step up and say, you know, I'll take the punishment, I'll do this. And that's exactly what Jesus did for our sins. He became the scapegoat. And the third, as we talk about, is the humiliation. He had become as a worm of Tola. Now, when I read through this, and again, this is the importance of of reading the scriptures and that the scriptures are alive and active. I had never, ever, that I can remember, focused in on this verse 6. So verse 6 says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. This is talking about Jesus. And so when I read that, I thought, why would they refer to God as a worm? And that's what I want to talk about today. Because this specific word used uh, denotes really a crushing of this worm, this tola worm or this crimson worm. Some will call it the scarlet worm, but the Jewish word for it is the tola worm. T-O-L-A-H, worm. And it talks about this crushing of this uh, tola, this red-blooded worm. And it was one of the ways that they would dye their garments back in the day. So uh, people couldn't go to Walmart and just buy dye in a bottle. They got it from nature somehow, either through plants, through animals, or through insects and different things. And this tola worm was used for that. But it's much more than that. And so I started to read about this tola worm. I wanted to know, well, what is it about this tola worm that, It was specific to this, because other worms that are mentioned in the Bible aren't Tola worms. This is a specific place in the Bible where it talks about this Tola worm. So I'd like to just share a little bit of schooling with you anyways. And it tells us this. When the female crimson worm, or the Tola worm, is ready to lay her eggs, which happens only once in her life, she climbs up a tree or on a fence post and attaches herself to it. With her body attached to the wood, a hard crimson shell forms. It is a shell so hard and so secure to the wood that it can only be removed by tearing apart the body, which would kill the worm. The female worm lays her eggs under her body, under this protective shell, and when the larvae hatch, they remain under the mother's protective shell so that baby worms can feed on the living body of the mother worm for three days. After three days, the mother worm dies, and her body excretes this crimson dye that stains the wood and her baby worms. The baby worms remain crimson-colored for their entire life. On day four, the tail of the mother worm pulls up into her head, forming a heart-shaped body that is no longer crimson, but has turned into a snow-white wax that looks like a patch of wool on a tree or fence. Then it begins to flake off and drop to the ground, looking like snow. So it's sort of an interesting thing as we read the the life cycle of this bug, that this bug will go up, it attaches itself to this wooden post, it puts this protective shell over itself, lays its eggs, and the babies basically feed on Mama for three days until Mama's dead. And it says the fourth day that this tail pulls up to the head, and it becomes heart-shaped. And the mother who has been crimson her whole life now becomes white, white as snow, we would say, or white as wool. And it's at that point, it says that it flakes off. And so when we look at this, it's sort of a, a, an interesting thing. Isaiah 118 says this, Now come and let us uh, reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. We've all heard that, right? Though your sins be as scarlet. That word there is, is shaming. And it's the root word for the word tola. So when your sins become as scarlet, it says they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, which is the word tola, they shall be as wool. And so we see in this little insect, this this thing of God's creation, uh, sort of a prototype or a typology of Jesus. And I think it's amazing because there's people that say, you know, until science can prove this, until science can show this, and really the the longer this earth goes on, the more science has been... um, Upholding the Bible and the things in the Bible. These people back then, you think this a thousand years before Jesus. So, you know, three thousand years from where we're at today. We're talking about this bug. We're talking about these things that were going to give us a great picture of our Lord and Savior. So was he a, uh, uh, Jesus a crimson word? In typology, he sort of was. Because we can look at his life. We can look at what he gave us. We can look at what he did freely For our sins, just as that mother worm attaches herself to the tree or to the fence, we see that Jesus really put Himself on a wooden cross. So don't be mistaken thinking that that the Jews or the Romans were the ones that you know dragged and forced Jesus against His will to go to that cross. The Scriptures are very clear that Jesus went to that cross willingly. Now they were participants in it, but Jesus went. Remember, he was still fully God. He could have at any moment called down a legion of angels. He could have done anything that God could have done. But he went willingly to the cross for you and I, for our our things. Just like that mother in her cycle went and put herself on that fence post for those that were going to come after her children, right? Jesus went to the cross because he knew that we needed that in our life. We knew that he was going to be that bridge that brought us to the Godhead family. So Jesus willingly allowed himself um, to go to the cross. He allowed the nails to be driven into his, his hands and feet. And I think next week we're going to describe a little bit about what that was. And however, it wasn't the nails that held him there. So we sing songs and we've heard the sayings. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross, but it was his love for you and me. You know, really what we could say is he knew that that needed to be done for us. He knew that it was the plan from when time began. It was his desire really to fulfill the purpose of the Godhead, Jesus being fully man and fully God, but to uh, really to uh, fulfill this purpose and plan of God uh, to redeem us from our sins. Galatians 1.4 would tell us about that, that this needed to be done. And we know that without uh, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so this was Jesus' desire. This was his 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 passion, as we would say it. And sometimes when we come to Easter, they call it the Passion Week. And just as the mother worm attached herself to the tree was part of her life cycle, this was part of God's design and part of his plan. And it gives us sort of this this picture of what we're doing. So when Israel was looking at this uh, psalm that David wrote, by the way, when they were reading this, they sort of understood this. They understood the life cycle they would see this remez, this R-M-E-Z, the Jewish people would, this deeper meaning. They would see the, the hidden meaning that laid underneath these words, and I think it's a wonderful thing. It was God's plan, his design, to send his son to be attached to the cross to die for us. Now, there's some other pictures that we can look at through this, too, that are very interesting. The mother worm when crushed, it says excreted this, this crimson um, dye, this crimson um, color and so when she had that it was a scarlet or crimson which is just a very dark dark red it's it's really the color of our blood in us it's that darkness Uh, and when she was crushed and it would say that this crimson covered the babies and they remained that way the rest of their life it stained them so Jesus when we look at his crucifixion when we look at his life when we look at the week leading up to him we would say this he was bruised And he was crushed, Isaiah 53 would tell us, uh, for our sins. So Jesus was bruised, he was also crushed. His scourgings and the nails that went in. You know, Jesus uh, was beaten beyond recognition. Uh, We don't look at that. You know, we see pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross. He looks a little sad, but he doesn't look beaten, does he? He's just hanging up there sort of clean. When he was put on that cross, he was a bloody mess. It says that his back, the, the <coughs> skin was tore from his back. His face was beaten and, and bruised and swelled. And it says that, that you probably wouldn't have even recognized him. The man that you would have recognized yesterday, you wouldn't have recognized today. And so we know that his scourging and the nails that were driven to his hands and feet brought forth this crimson blood, this blood that was shed for the sins. He was without sin, again, became sin for us. And it was this blood that was going to wash away our sins. The act of what Jesus did and the blood that was shed was that perfect sacrifice that washed away our sins, that covered our sins, and it says that marks us as his own. By his blood, we are marked as his own children. Remember that that Tola, um, Tola worm? When that crimson blood got on the babies, it covered them. And they remain that way the rest of their life. Jesus said, I have provided this way. Finally, as the baby worm was dependent on the mother, for the crimson blood to give them life, because that's what they fed on, that's what they became. They became as their mother. It is a repentant sinner that must depend upon the blood of Jesus. A lot of churches today, they don't want to talk about the blood. They don't want to look at that. I don't know if any of you have ever seen The Passion of the Christ, Uh, the movie that was made, I've never watched it fully. I've watched parts of it. I have a hard time watching that because of of how graphic it really is when you see Jesus that is beat and torn and the way that he was treated. And for me, like when I watch it, it's like watching uh, one of your children or one of your best friends getting just tortured and tormented. I, I have a hard time with that. We have a hard time looking at it, but the reality of it is just that thing is that a repentant sinner must depend on that blood of Jesus. You know, it would be nice to be saved if Jesus didn't have to go through that, but he needed to. God's declared it and he needed to do that. And so it's the blood of Jesus that gives that repentant sinner. Now, again, repentant isn't just saying I'm sorry for something. Repentant is a a heartfelt change that, Lord, I I am grieved, I am burdened, I am, you know, weighed down by this in my life. And we repent, Lord, I am sorry that I've sinned against you. You know, I'm not just sorry I'm caught, but I'm sorry, which repentance changes our our attitude. It changes our behavior in the things that we do. And so for the repentant sinner, we depend on this blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins. We trust in him. We believe in him. We have faith in him. We receive this new life in him. And it says that he has given us all these things. And most of all, it says that we are marked as his own. I hear a lot of people that, uh, you know, in the prison when we're doing studies and things, they always worry about somehow secretly getting the mark of the beast, you know, the 666 or whatever they proclaim it. You know what I tell them? If you're a born again believer, if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're already marked as his own. You're already covered by the blood. You don't need to worry about this mark because you're already marked as his. And so when you are Forgiven of those sins, he says that he wants to give us this new life, and Mark does his own. He is crushed on our behalf that the blood may be applied to us, that the blood may be applied that we might be made righteous. See, we can't be made righteous of our own. We try. We can be moral in some things, and we can try to do good, but the only righteous standing that we have is when Jesus has entered our life, when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, He has made us who he wants us to be. And it is his righteousness that he presents on our behalf when we stand before the Father in those last days, in those judgment days. And so we can only be made righteous through him. Notice that he is also, it says, reproached and and ridiculed before people. He was shamed and humiliated because of what we have done. He took the blame, he took the shame, he took the all the guilt and all those things were all upon him on this cross, this prophecy of this cross. You know, this just gives this perfect picture, really, of what Jesus has done, uh, dying on this tree, dying on this cross for you and me. He took the blame of man. He took the scowls. He took everything upon him that we deserved in our life, and yet he took it for us. His blood, that he might bring us into his glory. He did all this for his love for us, that he could bring us into the glory of the Father. Again, Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and whom all things are made, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He died for us, that we might live through him. Not that we might live alongside of him, Not that we might just follow after him or try to get ahead of him and lead him, but that we might live through him and him and us. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit in our life. Listen, there's a lot of times God has a direction. He has a plan for your life. And this is all part of, I really believe, the resurrection and the new life that he gives us. He has a plan that he wants for us. And our job and our devotion to him is to go where God would have us to go. Unfortunately, in the world today, many of us are going our direction. and We sort of give God the invite. God, if you want to be a part of this or, you know, if you want to come with me, hop on board. God doesn't do that. God has a plan. Again, the scriptures tell us there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. If you want to have that peace that surpasses understanding, you have to have Jesus as the, as the captain of your ship, as the master of your vessel. We want to see what his will is for our life, and we want to walk in that will. He died for us that we might live through him, just like the Tola word. The mother gave her life that her offspring would live on. So Jesus has done for us that we might have this eternal life. Psalms 22.6 describes a perfect picture of who Jesus is in this prototype. You know, how shall we know him? Some people say, well, how do we know that all this stuff about Jesus is, is really real. And I would say by his scars that he has. You know, there was a story about a, an African prince was, was visiting in one of the St. Louis expositions one time. And the, the prince was sort of dressed in American clothes as he was going from time to time. And he, he went to one of the villages uh, at this exposition. And the, the uh, African-Americans there were dressed in their, in their home stuff. And they sort of mocked at him and they ridiculed him. They didn't believe... That he was who he said he was because he looked different. You know, in biblical times they were looking for a Jesus that was a that was a king, that was a ruler, that was mighty, that was powerful. And again, we see the remnant because Jesus was born as a poor family. He was. It says that his parents could only give two turtle doves at his presentation in the cross. And so, when we see this in his life, we see not this man that's this big heroic thing until we see him in his glory but we see this man that was weak and so they see this prince that is coming and they started to ridicule him and mock him but one of the wise men said I can tell if this is truly a prince and it says that he felt on the back of his neck and in this tribe the the carrier of the royal blood or a descendant of the royal blood had this scar on the back of the neck and this man felt that and he felt that scar and he said this is the real deal and it says that they, they praised him for who he was. Jesus stands before us, really, the unspotted lamb. Again, him who was without sin became sin for us. The unspotted lamb that had been slain. There's scars in his hands, right? There's scars in his feet. His back was tore apart by a scourge. And If you want to know what a scourge is, it was leather straps that had bone shards that were woven into it and so when they would whip you, it wasn't just a, a strap but it was these sharp edges that would tear the skin, he had scars on his back he had scars on his head where they pressed the, the, the thorns down, he didn't deserve any of that, but he did it for his love for you and me, he's our redeemer, he is the one that has paid the price, you know the worst thing about something that if somebody gets you something is if you don't receive it, right Amen. Jesus has paid the price He's paid the price for each of us here. Have you received that gift of eternal life? Have you been covered by his blood? Are you a child of God? Coming to church doesn't make you that. Reading your Bible doesn't make you that. It make, what makes you that is when you accept the gift, the free gift that Jesus has given us. We shall know him because he alone is the one who has suffered for us in our sins and the things that we have done. Of all the things that we deserved, it says that he received. He didn't deserve any of that stuff, but he received everything that we deserved. Think about that. You know, just think about even in the modern day, if you had somebody and, you know, you broke the law and somebody stepped in and said, I'll take the punishment for that. We wouldn't even have anything to do with that, but Jesus did that for us. Have you accepted that gift? Have you been washed by his crimson blood you know him as your personal Savior? Let's pray. Father, as we sit here today, Lord, you know our hearts. Sometimes, Lord, we have this form of godliness. We know the words to say. We many times go through the motions. But as the scriptures would say, we deny the power. And there is power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in your Holy Spirit that fills our life, that It tells us that there is no temptation that can overtake us but that which is common to man. And even when we are tempted in those ways, you have provided a way out. Lord, you have given us the best gift that we could ever have. And that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so, Father, help us in our faith. Help us in our trust of you. Lord, if we have things in our life that we know don't belong there, Lord, help us to commit those things to you. If we're sitting here today and don't know you as personal Savior, maybe we know about you, we've read about you, but we've never really given our life to you, that you might live through us. Lord, help us to come to that point of yielding our life to yours. You paid a mighty price, Lord, and yet you expect nothing other than us to love you back. We thank you for the love that you have given us. We thank you for the life that was given. We thank you not only for the, for the crucifixion, but Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. And that's where we get our new life from. We thank you for all that you do in our life, And just pray that you would continue to work, not only in our life, but in the lives of those that we come in contact with. Help us to be this bright light. We ask your blessing now as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.